Hey folks, welcome to my podcast, Living with a Genius. I'm your host, Omar Crook, and this is my first interview. Uh, today we've got tenor Ben Bliss, an amazing singer from Los Angeles, California. Um, I met him at Los Angeles Opera. We sang a few shows together. The guy was so cool. Uh, we hung out backstage, and you know, I got this podcast going, or at least the idea for this podcast, and I gave him a call, and man, he just came right over. It was amazing. He's singing at the Metropolitan Opera. He's singing all over the world. He's a the guy's a real class act. Um, I hope you enjoy the interview, and thanks for tuning in. Here it is. I want to thank you for coming all the way over here, first of yeah, all. Yeah, my pleasure. Happy to I see mean, the neighborhood and the place and get to hang out. You know? It's really cool, man. It's good to see you. Um, I think the last time I saw you, um, you're going to have to get closer here. Mm. I like how you have your date written down, 2 well, yeah, I mean, you know, in case in case this thing gets super famous, I want to have I can, you know, I can it's formatable so I can frame it and, you know, well, put and a just, nice mat. And just in case um people ask you how long you've been doing it, you can say you've been doing it for 10 it's, years. That that's it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, you're right. Oh, six. Yeah, 10 years. That's yeah. right. Oh, you've been going yeah. a while. You wrote these questions before Thanks, we man. even met. I mean, I've I got, was in college. Holy crap. I've got lots of cassette tapes uh, <laughs> that I've got to really, I've got to take over to Costco. <laughs> <laughs> so we met, um, I think, was it um, Foscari that we, that we got to? you on Romeo and Juliet? Yeah, I was. But I don't, I don't think we, we, I don't we, think really we hung out. Yeah, we didn't really hang out backstage. Yeah. I, th I think like Foscari, we had, we shared some entrances and yeah, yeah. We were up on the, like the scaffold exactly. together for like 20 minutes back there in the dark. Exactly. Um, and that was three, three seasons ago, three or four. Foscari was spring 13. Yeah. I think. Wow. Three so, years yeah, ago. Coming up on three years. That's amazing. And That's since crazy. then, I've got to congratulate you, man. It, uh, first of all, when we met, I thought I went home and I thought, man, that guy is so cool. He is so you're just such a nice guy, just oh, super cool. And um, I always like to see nice people succeed. Well, and dude, you thanks. have come out of the gate like a fucking bullet. That's <laughs> unreal. I was talking to a friend of mine today, and uh, like yesterday, the Met announced their season. So I yeah, yeah, I saw that. Like, yeah. there's some fun stuff coming up. Yada yada. And uh, a friend of mine it was his birthday, and I texted him, and he was like, dude, like the Met. What the fuck? Yeah. Like, congrats. Yeah. Big and I was stuff, like, too, man. It's not just, it's not like third tree from the left, either. I mean, is yeah. it? The fucking lead roles. Well, but, I, like, what I said is, I was like, you know, I mean, like, I feel like I'm just like, okay. Yeah. Get, get on the opera ride. Must be this tall to ride, and I meet the requirement. And so, it's like, all right, buckle up. <laughs> see so what happens. It's so crazy. Great. It's crazy, dude. I love it. It's just, it's just, it feels like it's just starting. You know? I love to, I I mean, it's thrilling. I'm so, I'm just so happy for you. Thank you. Really, it's it's amazing. Now you, um, I remember talking to you backstage a little bit, and you didn't start uh, in music. Is that yeah, right? That's right. Yeah. Um, what were you studying before you got into music? Well, I was studying film in college, oh. and um, so like the, uh, I always try and turn this into like a, the shortened version. And I, I have a, I've longer. got a real long story yeah. too. Yeah. All right. Yeah, cool. Yeah. We have this in common. Yeah. Yeah. I thought so. I remember talking about that because you also have like a. Rent, uh, equipment rental business. Yeah, right? I mean, I do, I do some um, AV stuff, but I got into music after I had studied to be a writer. Actually, oh, really? I'd been accepted to UCLA's creative writing program. Oh. And I got anyway. I'll tell you that. That's a story for another time. I want to hear All your right. story. Yeah, 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 yeah. So <laughs> you welcome were, to you, Omar's podcast. Uh, yeah, where yes, yes. It is interview Omar. <laughs> it is living with a genius. You know, it's funny that um, one of my friends, I think it was two days ago, came up. It was Marty again. He, he said. Dude, how awesome would it be to have all these funny, funny people and 
and important people and interesting people come and interview you. Like that's the yeah. conceit of the whole show. Like <laughs> yeah. they come to interview me. Yeah. But then I don't know. We'll see. I'm not yeah. sure. Okay. So, so you were. So where did you get your start, Omar? Oh, we covered that like in season <laughs> one. You can just jump right into my like my, my issues with my mom <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> well, I don't know if we have that much time. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so, so you were at, in school. What, where were you going to school for fun? Uh, I was going to Chapman University. Oh, okay. Uh, down in Orange County. And the way I got to Chapman was um, in high school. Okay, I grew up like loving football. And Joe where did you grow up? Where was I grew that? up in Prairie Village, Kansas. Right around the corner actually from Joyce DiDonato. You're kidding. No. I my, thought you were a California guy. Well, I sort you of. You kind of turned into one. Yeah. I, I came out here when I was 18 and I stayed for almost a decade. Sure. And so like I was raised in Kansas City, but I feel like I raised myself in California. Okay. And like put my roots here in like L.A., after three years away, still totally feels like home. And it, like when you go back home to do, or do you go back home or do you still yeah, have family yeah, I go in to Kansas? Kansas City you my do. parents live there. My sister, brother-in-law, I see. aunts and uncles. And you feel like LA is now your now the place for you? Yeah. Well, I haven't lived in Kansas City for. I mean, I lived there for a couple months over the summer in college in like '05, maybe '06. So mm-hmm. it's been ten years since I've really lived there. Sure. And um, of course, I have memories everywhere I go in yeah, Kansas yeah, City, yeah. but they're old ones yeah you know, they're like getting to be like 20 years old now which i'm old enough to say i oh i haven't done that for 20 years <laughs> um but uh yeah in la it's like everywhere i go it's like oh man this one time that place that's cool man this i love that i and know? i love this city i mean this is this is a great place to oh, to is. hail from yeah totally. except for the traffic yeah everybody but I mean, says that you know there are worse things to deal with like winter yeah that's right and war <laughs> yeah and i war, mean we're I doing mean, okay yeah yeah <laughs> depending on the context um but uh so yeah, you were studying film at chapman yeah so and the, the way i got to chapman is i was really into football when i was a kid growing up in kansas city mm-hmm. i was always really tall and really skinny sure and like i didn't really have that super like i want to look you in the eye and like conquer kill you, you. yeah you mm-hmm. know i wasn't sure. a super competitive kid but I love football. So I finally got around to playing football. My parents let me play football. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, like real football in like eighth grade. Boy. And uh, I was 6'1". And I in weighed, eighth grade? Yeah. And I weighed Holy like 120, shit. 130 pounds. Wow. So I was a stick, man. It was trouble. And I also like sometimes there's like tall skinny kids that are really fast. Yeah, yeah. Not me. <laughs> <laughs> I had a pretty good arm. I can still throw a football pretty well. Nice. But like turns out that's not all you need. And I had a terrible offensive line. God bless them. They're some good friends. But sure. uh, I just got crushed. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And I wasn't enjoying it that much. And uh, I'd always been somehow involved in music. My mom sings in the opera chorus in Kansas City. Ah, UMKC? Uh, at the at, Lyric Opera. Oh, great, man. So she sung there before I was born and then took a little break when we were little kids and then has been singing there for like the last 25 seasons or something. And she's... Does she still? She does, still yeah. Th- she's oh, doing man. the Lecture of Love right now. And she, uh, the first, I found this out actually, she, for opening night of Magic Flute here in LA, she wrote me like a little note, you know, they flew out for opening night and it was on a little card and the front of the card was the first page of the overture of the Magic Flute. And I was like, mom, did you like, were you on like eBay for like two days trying, that's like really sweet, but like, come on, there are better ways to, turns out she sang Papagena at uh, Kansas City Lyric Opera. Um, must have been like 91 or 92. I was like six. It was the first opera I ever <gasps> saw. Well, I don't remember. But I, I have like little blips of magic flutey looking things. Sure. I don't remember if it was that time I saw it or another time. Sure. But a friend of hers 
like gave her that stationery like 20, 25 years ago and she kept it and just happened to like find it and was and wrote in there. That so is so nice. It was crazy. That yeah, it was so really, cool. it was That's a really, really, cool. really sweet note. Yeah. So I grew up going to see her. Uh, so it was in your in family. Office. I mean, it wasn't out of the question no, to, to, to get into this business. It wasn't totally yeah. out of left field. My yeah, grandmother yeah. was a singer and my mom's sister has been a voice teacher forever. My dad's a cartoonist. So we have like a pretty artsy fartsy family. That's, wow, that's cool, man. <laughs> yeah, it was it was an interesting way to like grow. I had friends come over and they're like, "Why are people always like singing in your yeah, house?" Yeah, it's the same. It's the same it's like, here. It's ten o'clock on a on a Tuesday in July. Why isn't your dad at work? It's like, oh, he is. He's downstairs like drawing pictures. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but anyway, so growing up with that, I always sort of took it for granted and didn't really appreciate it. I mm-hmm. liked singing in choir in middle school and high school. I mm-hmm. got involved in. The choir was like a big thing. In oh, our that's high nice. So I got we, really involved. Yeah, in that. we don't have that out here so much. At least yeah. not not at. Oh, I'm, when I grew up, I don't think we even had a choir in high school. Really? Yeah, I, I huh. was really saddened by that. Because so you grew up in. I grew up. North I grew up down in yeah down in Newport Beach. Oh, okay. Yeah, uh, not even North Orange County. So that's it's nice. uh, yeah. I I wasn't exposed to that at all. Hmm. Um, so I envy that. I mean, that's that's amazing. And I hope. I mean, I know you just got married. Congratulations. Thank you. Uh, when you have kids, man, that's something that you really, like, I start thinking about. I've got a three-year-old son, and yeah. where's he going to do music? Where who, Who's going to teach him? What's going yeah. to choir? All that stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, so you so you found yourself at Chapman. What right. ki- What kind of, um, what in film did you want to, stu- were you studying directing or screenwriting or... Yeah, I was I was I wanted to be not like an auteur, but uh-huh. you know, I was interested in the really creative side of things, which sure. was, you know, writing and mostly I have like a very visual brain and I still um accomplish tasks and organize things in my brain very much in a visual way. Mhm. Oh, excuse me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, well, and editing. We we'll uh, have to eat. But um yeah, so that's what I was interested in and my being in high school, I was in choir, and I got really interested in theater as well because I was like, dude, I'm too skinny and not cutthroat enough for football. Yes, but man, especially going to college. I mean, you well, get annihilated, yeah. right? Yeah, totally. So I played like a part of the season, I think my freshman year. Maybe it was my, I think it might have been my sophomore year, and I was like, mm-hmm. ah, that's enough. Which, yeah, yeah. Eh, I don't know. I think if I'd really been, if I'd gotten the kind of support in like that that I ended up getting in, in music, music mm-hmm. or for that matter, if I got. I got better support in the film world, but still not like really like cradling intense sure. like support. Sure, I think you know it could have gone a different direction. Maybe I never would have done music, and I would have tried to do that. Who and knows? Be a, and be a quarterback. That was your thing. Well, yeah. I okay. mean, as yeah. cliche as that sounds, but no. I mean, my... you definitely have the physique for the quarterback. I mean, it's like archetypal. Ah, uh, well, you know, just tall, skinny guy, sure. I guess. And like sure. now, Tom Brady is my hero, even though he may be <laughs> cheated. But I don't think so. He's he, he, like, holy crap. Uh, he's great. Anyway, um, uh, so yeah, I was in theater and choir, and uh, through film, I saw. I remember seeing Rebel Without a Cause, mm-hmm. and James Dean like blew my mind. Okay, and uh, then I also saw Shawshank Redemption. Oh, jeez, and mean, I was like, man, that for me, that's um, uh, uh, number one for me. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, it's it's pretty incredible. That and Royal Tenenbaums, those are my nice. two favorites. <laughs> it's nice. a little, you know, nice. both sides of the scale. I none <laughs> of the neither of those two ended up making it into my top ones. My top ones now are like Tree of Life. Uh huh. I think that is very much not your standard movie, but like, wow, sure. it really did some amazing things with the medium. And um, American Beauty again, of I course. saw that around yeah. at the same period, and that really hit me pretty hard. Um, 
Children of Men. Oh man! Oh, God. that through shot in the and, and, the, and that it's like twelve minutes of no oh, cuts. Yeah. It's unbelievable. Yeah, and that style that now like we're seeing like the echoes of that in like the Revenant and like sure. this, this documentary style with Inuritu and sure, it's it's incredible. And then um, the other one that really hit me that I don't think I saw until a little bit later or really appreciated until a little bit later was The Graduate. Oh my the music God! Music is so great. And, yeah. Uh, and Mike Nichols, you can tell like Sam Mendes who did American Beauty, it was his first movie. And Mike Nichols doing The Graduate, both of them came from the theater, which in a very like rudimentary sense, I felt sure. like I did too. Because I, I kind of like got interested in film from being a big theater nerd and yeah, choir yeah. nerd in high school, right? And with both of them, particularly Mike Nichols, you can see somebody that really knows how to craft a story and give it so much life. But then all of a sudden, they have this incredible new tool yeah. that can displace and change place and time and continuity right. and they're having so much oh, fun. Oh, that montage it. of him in the pool and the, yeah. the I mean, geez, that oh, is so awesome. terrific scene. Oh, I Just love fantastic. that. Just fantastic. Just coincidentally, you know, we sing in the opera chorus with the son of the guy who played the father in that film. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. Ha. Yeah. Uh, Bill Daniels is his name. Oh, the, no the guy from the movie. Oh, funny. He, he was also the voice of Knight Rider. Really? Yeah, and ha. he was on Saint Elsewhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really nice guy in the chorus. I love the tracks of like the L.A. sort of performer actor oh, career. Geez, it's like yeah. Yeah, in the Graduate, and then was Night Rider. <laughs> like, <laughs> God, I bet that guy's got some stories. And most yeah. of the dudes who are and the women too who have those career paths. Everybody like, does. Everybody's got a story in this town for yeah. sure. And so you obviously have a passion for film. I mean, well, yeah. I mean, I, and I do too. I mean, I really appreciate film. I, I went to film school as well down at uh, LACC mm -hmm. uh, just a few years ago. And so I, I really exercised my appreciation for film too. But then, so you have this, you're on this path. What, what, ha like what was the catalyst to, to change your mind about what you were doing and going to music well, while you were in college? It was um, gradual, but also sort of like explosive like that. So um, the first one was I wanted to study film in Southern California, mm -hmm. and Chapman looked like a really good option. Mm -hmm. um, the, the, my biggest thing was the, the financial aspect, sure. is because I didn't want to be. I mean, it wasn't as much of a talked about issue. I feel like in the early two thousands as it is now. That's right. But yeah. I just had this feeling that I didn't want to. Like I got one offer from a school in Chicago, and it's like it will give you twenty thousand dollars a year in financial aid. And it's all alone. Oh, it was geez. like eighty grand in debt, right. and I had like I got a couple hundred bucks for graduation. It was the most money I'd ever had in my life. Holy you know, cow. so I was not equipped to be yeah. doing that. And so anyway, Chapman offered a choir scholarship, even if you were going to be a major in another discipline. And I had like pretty good grades, but not like you know yeah, sending yeah, yeah. to college for free in California grades. Yeah. Um, and so I sent a CD that my choir had made into the music school with a guy named Bill Hall. Sure, sure. You know Bill Hall? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, dean of the music school, really larger-than-life kind of guy. Mm -hmm. And um, I was singing A Spotless Rose. like another, We did like a Christmas CD with the choir every yeah. year. And so he started calling my house every week. Bill did? Yeah. He wow. called my house in Kansas and ingratiated himself, and not in like the negative sense, in a very, sure. like, thank God sense, <laughs> like mm -hmm. friendly sense, mm -hmm. with my parents knew everyone by name and like really just I felt like I was a quarterback or something. I felt like I was being like really recruited. Wow. And he okay. called, he said, your financial package should be arriving today. And I got a choir scholarship that was pretty 
you know substantial yeah, yeah. pretty substantial it was like five figures a year wow and, like, and it was like for the choir program to go be a film major wow great and then some other like government aid and stuff and so i was like you know okay it looks like i'm gonna go to chapman yeah and i think back then they, they had some relationship with usc too so you could feed right into the usc film school from chapman or something like that oh, didn't really? they have, yeah i think uh, so i, I, th- I thought they had something that. no but they did that was one of the things is usc of course is like the most storied like greek archetype mm-hmm. film school in the world yeah i remember the stat on their marketing materials that got me was at least one alumni from usc has won an oscar every year since like 1956 wow or something. But they also have the thing where, you know, you can go to four years of film school and never actually make your own film. That's you right. You don't get to touch a camera till you're a junior, yada, yada, yada. It's like going to IU as an undergraduate, as a singer. I mean, the, the chances yeah. of getting oh, right. on stage is like, you know. Right, because the program's no. just so huge. Right. And like, so competitive. Yeah. So Chapman was a good fit. They put you in visual storytelling and give you a little mini DV camera your first day. Mm-hmm. It was great. I had a lot of fun there. Uh, the only drawback to the film program there was if you really wanted to go out and be doing like big you know your own projects every mm-hmm. weekend you had to pay for them yourself i see and so there were a lot of a lot of you know just like it is in hollywood you know there were a lot of kids that were well connected mm-hmm. or there were a lot of kids who weren't necessarily that good but their parents gave them you know forty thousand dollars a month to play with and they could go out and like do these incredible projects one kid i remember he was like yeah we needed some shots of uh, like a temple in china and the um like the stock footage was really expensive, so I just flew my whole crew to China for oh, a week. Oh, and I was like, man. you're like 20. <laughs> Shut up. Oh, man. <laughs> but anyway, that made me appreciate it. So I, I was in the choir there, and then Bill Hall the first day said, okay, you will be in the choir, and your voice teacher will be Patrick Gazer. Uh-huh. And I was like, mm, dude, I took like two voice lessons with my Aunt Nancy in high school. It was sure. cool, but like, I'm just, I'm just going to be in the choir and do that thing and like whatever. Nope, you're taking voice lessons. All right. So I meet Patrick Gazer. He's phenomenal. Has ended up being a huge influence in my life. Yeah. Um, my sophomore year, he told me that he would lower my grade if I didn't try out for the opera. And so I tried out for the opera. And my buddy Tim, this one day, comes out of the music school. And he's like, dude, you got Tamino. And I didn't have the foggiest idea what he was talking yeah. about. And I was like, is there a cure? <laughs> you know, I'm not sure that, that exact exchange happened, but in my mind, it's, of course. it's yeah, more yeah, fun yeah, if yeah. it did. And yeah. so, um, as a, yeah, as a film student, I ended up singing Tamino. It was like triple cast, so I only sang it one night. But, you know, spent a year learning a whole Mozart role in German. Sure. And uh, at that point, having never cared about opera, at all mm-hmm. uh, I was like oh well from the inside this is pretty fun and yeah. like challenging the singing is fun you can do it I sure. studied a little German in high school because you had to take a foreign language and mm-hmm. so I had a little leg up there and I kind of got into it and I think it was after that I decided to add a music minor Huh. so I took like um, I think theory one and two history one and two mm-hmm. pretty basic I think it was like an extra six or eight courses sure and then sang Albert Herring my junior year dude these are the two roles that I sang at Cal State Fullerton really I started with Albert Herring it's the first role I sang there whoa that's and then Tamina. tricky yeah wow yeah 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 that's amazing that's so funny <laughs> yeah. yeah okay parallel <laughs> um, so Anyway, that was another reason why coming back to L.A. to do Tamino this year was like really the full circle. I oh, found yeah. out it's the first opera I ever saw, first opera I ever was in. And this production, I mean, this production you, is so cool. you, you can't beat it. No, it's so cool. I did, I, like I said, I did Tamino in college. I did the first Priest Armored Guard at Dayton Opera. 
I've done the chorus a few times. I've done uh, Monostatos at Bear Valley. Nice. I've done all uh, every single thing you can sing in the show, and I was so tired of it by the time. By the time I became an, you know, an old man, basically, I was like, oh, man, magic flute. I, I thought the dramaturgy was weak, which I know people are going to s- skewer me yeah, for. Yeah, well, it doesn't make any sense. I mean, no, I mean there's no really dynamism. There's no, nobody really transforms. It's not like Don Jose, you know, where he starts one place and he yeah. ends up being a total lunatic. Um, but, man, this production, this Barry Kosky thing, just... I mean, it just, somehow it somehow makes more of a story out of it. The way they took out the Sprechstimme yep. and made the pantomime, and and the way you guys are basically on display with all of this stuff happening around you with the video, it's it's enchanting and it's beautiful. It brings it all together, and like Mozart is Mozart is like one of the you know three people you could have lunch with in heaven. You know, <laughs> Mozart is totally one of them. Sure, and not just because he's such an amazing genius. There are way more people, way more qualified on like a musicological level to sit there and be like, look where music has come since yeah, he yeah. died. Isn't this cool? Yeah, but like Mozart was a total like party boy. You know, his genius was just like a part of him and like he was like young and he was like crazy and having a good time and I'm sure he would love this production oh I've said that before too I think he would absolutely love it yeah, yeah I totally uh, totally agree with you and I think that his creativity was not only like musical and that in some sense he was had you know big crazy ideas like yeah Zarastro comes in on the back of an elephant that's but right but he's an Austrian in the 1700s so he's like yeah so Zarastro is just like he's a, he's, he's a priest so that's, <laughs> that's what you get you know um, so, uh, so anyway, at Chapman, I did, we did the same roles, sure. Albert Herring and, um, Tamino. And then my senior year, I had to sort of like step back from the music stuff. Cause it was like taking a lot of my time and really concentrate on finishing my, uh, film yeah, stuff. Sure. I was directing, I like co-wrote and directed a senior thesis film. Mm-hmm. And I was also trying to do a senior recital, which I ended up having to cancel because I just like, it was burned out. Yeah. Well, not even, not even so much burned out, which I'll get to later. Like, I think that's a really important thing for me personally to have not done hardcore music four years in college, uh-huh. two, three years after college. You know, I think I would be, by the time I was ready to start working, I'd be, I would be so burned out. Mm-hmm. I get bored easily, mm-hmm. you know, and not that music. Isn't. Oh, me too. Yeah. Anyway, um, the variety, I remember in college going back and forth a lot being like, God, music is really annoying me today. I'm sick of working on this. Well, let me go like, work on a screenplay Mm -hmm. hell yeah Mm -hmm. and then when i got stuck there i'd go back and you know keep on learning some benjamin Britten. and it it was this awesome symbiosis i wish it could still be like that and hopefully sometime i can work something out where it could be yeah sure but um so yeah senior year i I directed this movie called jesus which is exactly what it sounds like. Were um, you squeezed Jesus enough to get the juice out or what? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's about a Jewish kid who inherits the powers of Jesus uh-huh. on prom night. Okay. Is like the elevator pitch. And it's like 16 minutes long. And uh, there's this kid, Jason Cohen. And he wants to take a, you know, a shiksa to the prom. Uh-huh. Um, and his dad is very devout and not, not that interested in it, especially after he finds uh, a crucifix in the couch. No. It's like, why was Maggie taking off her jewelry <laughs> on our couch, Jason? But Jason's got to get his dad to loan him the car sure. so he can go out that night. And at breakfast, they're going back and forth. And he's like, God, why do, you have to be make, why do you have to make being Jewish so hard? I wish I could be anything but Jewish for one freaking day. And so then, of course, on his way to school, his little brother, his little brother dares him to touch the baby Jesus uh-huh. in an inflatable manger scene in the yard <laughs> next door because uh-huh. it's like the winter prom. Sure. Right? Um, and he has this flash of lightning and the thing deflates and he's like, what the hell was that? 
And so he goes to school and he finds out that his girlfriend cheated on him with his best friend. And he's just like, I, I, I forgive you. What? <laughs> and then in Woodshop, he unexplainably er, builds this giant birdhouse. And, um, oh, in my cameo, the injured football player, he sure. runs into me in the hallway and then later in the day, and I'm on crutches, you know. Later in the day, he sees me out in the lawn just like running around playing football. <laughs> that is funny. He's trying to put it all together on his walk home from school. And he's just looking up into the clouds and then hears some sloshing and looks down and he's walking on the top of a lake. <laughs> so he runs home and at dinner he turns the water to wine and multiplies the bread and then he holds up his hands and he goes, all right, I'm sorry. And he's got stigmata. <laughs> oh my God. It's, it's, this it's all happens in 16 minutes? Yeah, yeah. It was it was super fun. And like I, uh, when I was working on it, I was like, I love the concept of like the Jewish kid getting the Jesus sure. stuff, but I couldn't figure out like why right it couldn't just be some funny gag it had to have like a reason why and I'd, I'd been like sort of circling around like well maybe he doesn't want to be jewish but i'm not jewish so i was like i can't really yeah did you grow I up or, really... did you did you grow up with religion yeah i grew up household? in like the presbyterian church oh, and uh -huh. i was really into it in like middle school but uh -huh. i think it was kind of more of like the social thing you know? and were you singing did that get you in, into choir is that how, is uh, that how that no, happened actually I, I was playing guitar in like a youth band with my sister uh-huh back then but choir i guess i was in choir in church too uh -huh, uh -huh. so that was part of it but uh -huh. um my so my senior thesis advisor gil bettman who actually directed a few episodes of knight rider back in kidding? the day he was like look just have the kid not want to be jewish and i was like can i do that he's like look i'm a jew if anybody <laughs> doesn't like him tell him i said it was okay and i was like all right and so we ran with it and i did my research and had a mezuzah on the door, and we all got yarmulkes that had the Jesus, um, what do you call it? Uh, not inscribed, but... Uh, uh, like uh, embroidered? Embroidered uh, uh -huh. on them, yeah. Uh -huh. And um, Where'd you shoot it, on campus? or? Yeah, we shot it uh, at a, a Chapman University-owned house right uh -huh. across the street, mm -hmm. and in a park, and this and that. And since I didn't have, you know, ten, twenty thousand $20,000 right. a year to spend on productions... I took out a little bit extra from my Sally Mae loan my mm -hmm. senior year and mm -hmm. like pinched every freaking penny. And of course, you know, sometimes your not shortcomings, but your limitations can end up being what. Yeah, you know, I found when I was you. when I was making movies uh, at LACC, we I mean, they have a great facility, but they, we didn't have a ton of money. But it's amazing how. Um, you know, it gives birth to creativity and you just, yeah. you have to just make it work mm -hmm. and, and do the best that you can. And sometimes something extraordinary comes yeah, out of that absolutely. instead of just having a ton of cash. Yeah. If you can just throw money at it, it's not necessarily always going to be the most effective, creative, interesting solution. Yeah. I mean like 90% of the movies that come out in Hollywood. Yeah. <laughs> you know, right. Uh, <laughs> huh. So, uh, so yeah, we shot Jesus, um, right around Christmas time and then I graduated and realized that like my film degree and music minor were not going to lead to any immediate job openings. I'd interned for a couple of places. I interned for Ridley Scott. That wow. was cool. Uh -huh. But I'd been pretty distracted while I was there. And they have like a really small operation. So there wasn't like an open door mm -hmm. for an, like some job. So like right after college, I went to bartending school. Really? And then, yeah. Wow. And I came up to L.A., Every day, like my lease was up on the house I'd been living in, yeah. so I crashed in the garage for like a month. Where was that? In Orange? Yeah, the it was house? in Orange. Yeah, up near the near like the Orange circle. Hills. It oh, was, it was oh, a little sure. Up, yeah, near like Anaheim Hills. Oh, sure, sure. Um, by you know the In and Out on, is it Tustin? 
There's uh, a Chapman. Chapman. On Chapman. Yeah, the Rocking Horse Ridge is right up the yeah, hill like there. Yeah, like Orange Hill Restaurant. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Orange yeah. Mining Company. I, yeah. Right I up did. in that zone. I dated a girl who lived up there. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, my, like, my best friend Sam... Uh, and he was living like a half mile from me that whole time, but I didn't meet him until we were both living in LA. Oh, that's funny. So, uh, yeah, I moved into the garage for like a month, went to bartending school. Mm -hmm. And then it was also kind of like pre smartphone times. Sure. Uh, so I came up to LA with an envelope full of resumes, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. my waiter experience and where I went to bartending school. Um, that's kind of expensive, isn't it? Bartending school. Uh, well, I went to a, a like bottom basement <laughs> drawer one, and then like they were kind of like they use like RC cola and, and uh, yeah. yeah 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 like I don't think we ever actually even mixed with like real booze because you have to practice and so it was all like colored like oh, food okay. coloring yeah. sure and um, met a cool girl there that was fun nice and I got to be friends with the guy who owned the place and I don't know if it was that or the fact that it was really disorganized but I paid like half of the fee which i think was like two hundred dollars on the first day of wow. class okay last day of class came nobody asked for the other two hundred dollars you and got your certificate yeah and so i got it for half price <laughs> <laughs> so i came up to the los Feliz public library and i googled just like bars in la and like sure. concentric circles out from the los Feliz area mm -hmm. and, and you were determined to stay out here you had no interest in going yeah, back to I, kansas I, strangely looking back i don't even really re like remember considering that as an option not that my parents wouldn't have me they would have loved uh, sure. it sure but i was like well i'm not gonna like go there and what live for five years and try and save up money to come back and start over right i almost moved to new york after i graduated because i dated a girl for a long time who wanted to move out there but i was like i need to stay in la mm -hmm. and we kind of went our own ways mm -hmm. so um yeah i came up and did i think three or four days in a row and just went door to door to all these bars in the middle of the afternoon and said, hi, I'm Ben from Kansas. You guys wow. need any bartenders? <laughs> Dude, that's awesome. And I ended up at this place called Sunset Barn Grill, which is now a Thai food restaurant upstairs from Roscoe's Chicken and Waffles. Oh, sure. Sunset and Gower. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, oh, that was a sketchy job. Well, it's a sketchy neighborhood. Yeah. It's still, it's still I mean, it's, you know. It's, it's, it's little, There's a sugar fish across it's, the street. Yeah, now, no. So it's, it's I mean, back then, maybe, though, back then, though, back then, though, it was sketchy. This was, oh late 08 yeah, i guess so sure. yeah hollywood was it still had it had more sketchy parts than it does now. yeah right so right. they paid me in cash and they didn't have a full liquor license it was all like beer and wine and then like these like what it was, it was like like 40, grape vodka and that kind of stuff yeah it was like 40 proof mm -hmm. vodka imitation right and stuff and there was like a back room where like the, the owner and his buddies would always hang out and like when the cash register rented a change i'd go back and they just open up a drawer like put down their huge blunt and what? like give me some cash their friends would come in and out it was like thoroughly sketchy and then all and all these guys would come in and sit down and eat and then not pay but just leave me like a crisp benjamin for a tip what it was sketchy as fuck. well i guess it didn't last did it it didn't it yeah, didn't um surprise and uh i remember there were a couple of fun nights there. Nobody ever came in. Nobody ever came in. It was in. just all for his friends. Well, sort of. And, and the then laundering like of random, money. And, yeah. yeah. And mm -hmm. then like random stragglers that would come in, like some couple, their car broke down. And so like, we'll like buy chicken fingers and like a martini. And like, what? A, can we just please use your phone? I was like, <laughs> you don't want this martini or these three-day-old chicken fingers. Just, just go take ahead. The, yeah. But like there was one night where he was like, hey, we have private party tonight. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Why do you, you had to, you had only to only that. Latin friends. Uh, you call your friends too. 
he went across the street to Rite Aid and bought all this like Patron and like fancy vodka and all stuff. I don't think that's what you're supposed what? to do when you like own a restaurant. Yeah, no. And then he just had all these like his friends and my friends coming in in this really weird mixture. And I was like, how much does this cost? He's like, eh, just charge them some money. Only take cash. And so I was giving out like, you know, double shots of chilled Patron to my friends for like $3. Holy shit. It was so sketchy and like not legal. But you were making you were making a living. I mean, they were ah, they were of. paying you. I, I had moved into um, a living room in like West Hollywood. This dude, somebody who, you knew, or no Craigslist oh dude God. who ended up being from Kansas, and I lived there for I think three months because the good thing about this job was uh, it was right across the street from Sunset Gower Studios. Uh huh. Right. And so I brought in a bunch of DVDs of Jesus and business cards, mm-hmm. and I was just like, whenever I would just like ask people, oh, like you What's guys. What's the name of the screen? owner there? I know him. Uh, Sunset Gower. Yeah. Oh, uh, I met him on the weekend that I got engaged to my wife. Oh, nice. At this hotel. Yeah, this guy. Oh, God. What's his name? He produced a lot of... Oh, I'll think of it. I'll think of it later. Oh, yeah. Anyway, I pitched him a bunch of scripts myself. Yeah. The same guy. Yeah. Does he produce films? Well, yeah. yeah I mean, he produced, he produced TV. He produced films. Nice. Um, yeah, and, the, and now he's got this giant business. I mean, he's got, it's a yeah, huge that's studio, studio complex. Yeah. I mean, that the big stuff shoots there. Yeah. It's, it's a big big deal. Yeah, we went up for this fancy weekend uh my wife and my friend eric and it was our 40th birthday mm-hmm. and our wives g- got us this fancy thing up this place called post ranch inn which is up in the redwoods nice and uh i just happened to meet this guy that you're talking about uh who owns a studio that you're talking about anyway I, I pitched him a bunch of scripts that were like three quarters of the way finished and it was <laughs> awful and i totally blew it but <laughs> that's how you learn right? that's it yeah we're straight to the top learn. yeah <laughs> um yeah so i worked there for three months and then eventually sort of got my like you quote, break break yeah two guys who worked at uh the dr phil show okay came in and so I said, oh, Dr. Phil's show, cool. Does that shoot at Sunset Gower? And they said, no, it shoots at Paramount. Right. It's like, ah, oh, even cooler. Yeah. It's like the oldest studio in Hollywood. Amazing. It's great. It's, lot. it's a cool place. Beautiful, yeah. Yeah. And so I was like, were you guys hiring? I mean, this, I mean, I love bartending, but. <laughs> <laughs> and they were like, oh, yeah, yeah, I think so. Uh, you know, here's my email address. So, like, that was like the first real, like, lead. I, it, the first real yeah, lead. But, I think yeah, I got. that meant anything, Might right? I gotten some other email addresses, but. Right. I emailed these dudes, like both of them, twice a week for a couple of weeks till I finally got a job interview. And I went in to Paramount mm-hmm. and I interviewed to be a runner, which mm-hmm. is absolute bottom of the totem pole. Well, yeah. Which is, yeah, it describes exactly what you do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was like Aaron's Just run boy, around, basically. Yeah. And that was sweet. That was an awesome job. I moved out of my place in West Hollywood. I wasn't making great money, I was making like maybe like 600 bucks a week before sure. taxes, but you got like mileage reimbursements and you got overtime and you could work it to actually like kind of do okay. Yeah. I mean, you're running your car into the ground, but like you work at the studio, you get to drive in like not just the studio, but the back lot on That's New right. York street, free movies at the studio theater. And like, best of all, you can like take girls in your car yeah. on New York street and then just walk over oh, to the Paramount yeah, yeah, theater. Yeah. That was great. Um, so yeah, I did that for like a year and met my buddy Sam there uh-huh. who was from Orange County and a bunch of great people and like 
Oh God, there's so many stories from like the runner days on Dr. Phil. How, how long did you do it? Uh, I was a runner for just one season. I see. And then after the first season, uh, I went in and was like, and basically asked for a promotion. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, I have production experience and like, I think I'd be good at this and that. Mm -hmm. So after a season, they had me be the assistant to the supervising field producer. Mm -hmm. And that was a legitimate, like, yeah, really real good job. job. That yeah. was a really, really good job, except, um, <laughs> they're cheapskates. I'll just, I mean, like, since I had asked for a promotion, mm -hmm. uh, they were like, okay, great. Well, we'll just keep you at the same salary, which means <laughs> no more, but it was a salary now, so it was no what? overtime, uh, no mileage reimbursement. So, I was making so it's less. Yeah. I took like a third, like a 30% pay cut. And, uh, but I got to work, my boss, John Perry, is this awesome dude, mm -hmm. like a total diamond in the rough mm -hmm. for, in my opinion, that thing yeah um <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, yeah. And maybe, I, i've maybe, heard some things about dr phil personally. maybe even the whole tv world he's just sure. a super super like friendly supportive extremely hardworking, talented compassionate guy he's awesome mm -hmm. still a friend of mine and um he directs everything and sort of produces uh everything that dr phil shoots that's not on the soundstage mm -hmm. at paramount and he also does a bunch of promos and special projects mm -hmm. music videos for dr phil's son <laughs> um, awesome guy so I worked with him but I was like starving I had to break my lease move into some cheapo place in Echo Park oh jeez um, and I was like I was just working a lot mm -hmm. like sleeping at the office occasionally just because I was there so late so after a year of doing that jeez oh, they um, they asked me to coordinate the on-air promo department for uh, the Doctors which is their spinoff show Dr. Phil's Kid Jay pitch mm -hmm. this show and um and that was that was like, yeah that no, was that's it. a big bump yeah and that was like an actual real job i got like a salary and almost like doubled my pay and all that stuff and i was like i made it like, yeah i'm a big boy i can yeah, pay yeah, rent yeah. and all this stuff um it turned out i was like the fourth person to have that job in six months <sighs> and uh there were some really great people in that department and the people who ran that department while being like genuinely good people mm -hmm weren't were kind of nuts and it made the job really difficult oh well, i bet the closer you get to dr phil <laughs> the uh, the harder the job right well yeah yeah and the, the communication lines were like gummed up so basically my job there what remember how i was like oh, i'll give you the short story yeah. <laughs> uh basically the job there is uh phil or no it was that i was it was for the doctors the doctors shoot six hour-long shows a week mm -hmm. and my job was okay they're going to shoot shows 8001 to 8003 on Thursday and 8004 to 8006 on Friday. Mm -hmm. So what I would do is I would take the show tape, give it to one of my two producers. They would write a 30-second promo script. Mm -hmm. I would get that approved by the executive producer and the show producer, sign it, assign it to uh, an editor to do a rough cut, get the rough cut approved by the promo producer, show producer, executive <laughs> producer. And the executive producer executive produces both shows oh, and is getting 2 million emails a day. Mm -hmm. And um, they would approve it, do a fine cut, get it reapproved by everybody, mm -hmm. then do a 20-second version, a 15-second version, a 10-second version, and two five-second versions, get all those approved again, and deliver one of those to the CBS satellite room every day. Oh, my God. And it was a nightmare. So you're making twice the money but working 10 times as hard. Well, yeah, basically. Wow. And like... 
I'm a pretty organized guy, mm-hmm. but like that wasn't really my forte. Right. <laughs> I was really not, not I mean that you're getting into it. production management at that point. Yeah, basically. Yeah. And that was never that was never my vibe. But I like I would have loved if I could have gotten that money and saved my old job, I would have loved it. Right. It was a really, really good job. Long hours. But like I kind of people had to are do and this. people are like clawing for that kind of work in this town. Yeah, I mean it's a it's a big deal. Yeah, I got to do some really creative stuff mm-hmm. and like the guy was this John Perry guy was nice enough that when I did like screw up, mm-hmm. he would cover for me and not totally throw me under the bus. Sure, which wasn't necessarily the case in the new job, and different producers would be like, I can't look at every one of these. Stop emailing me. And then I'd stop emailing them. And after two months, it's like, you can't send out promos without my approval. Why aren't you emailing me? Right. It's like, you guys. Right, right, right. And my boss was a really good friend of the producer. And so a lot of the flack came my way. And like I said, it wasn't necessarily my particular skill set. I wasn't super happy. Um, and certain things about payroll weren't explained to me. So there were some issues oh, there. God. It was it was what tricky. A nightmare. So I, I lasted there about six months. Now, were you doing anything in music at the same time or no? No. You had kind of um, just forgotten about it. During, I think during one of my like two and a half years at Dr. Phil, I was singing in the church choir and my old church choir job down in Orange. Uh-huh. Um, oh, down at Crystal Cathedral? Uh, no, it was at Holy Family Cathedral. I see. Yeah. Great group there. I mm-hmm. love those guys. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I lasted about six months. I was about ready to quit. My contract was like, a, like an 11-week contract, whatever. Mm-hmm. They didn't renew it. I said, thank God. That's great. I got out of there. And I remember that was uh, was January 28th, 2011. Wow. And so I walked out of the studio and I called Patrick Gazer on the phone, who since, you know, 2004 had been saying, I remember he said one time, he's like, you know, there are a lot of people that have to have day jobs to support their singing habit. He's like, you might have to have a singing habit to support, or you might have to have a singing job to support your, your film, film habit. habit. Right, right. <laughs> and he was like, and he always, I never got it, but he, it seemed like he always saw something in me that mm-hmm. I didn't really know was there mm-hmm. and wasn't really that interested in. So I called him on January 28th and I was like, all right, Patrick, I'm going to be a singer. I really miss music. I'm done with TV. So I want to start taking so voice lessons again. So what do I do? Yeah. yeah. And before I went home that day, I went to, I was so happy to be out of there. I went to the Grove and I sure. filled out applications at like Barnes and Noble and J Crew mm-hmm. and uh, ended up getting the best job of my life. Uh, don't tell the opera world. I worked at the Lego store in Glendale for like five months. Oh man. That was the best. <laughs> it was, I mean, if you know, it's temporary. I wasn't, I was yeah, making of course. like yeah, yeah. slightly above minimum wage, but I was like, Playing awesome. Legos with little kids all day. And, and everybody's and so happy. And you're just, yeah. yeah. And it's yeah. like, uh, the only time I would want to be a salesman is if what I'm selling sells itself. Sure. And like, you don't have to sell Legos. That's right. It's just like, come in. It's like heroin. Yeah. It's not like Foot Locker. No. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I went down to Patrick's house over that summer and I couldn't pay for voice lessons. So I helped him drywall his garage oh, in exchange God. for voice lessons. Dude, you paid it hard. Oh, that's, well. that's, uh, drywall's no fun. Yeah, well, I don't know. I, I, I like working with my hands. You know, it that's was what like I a, heard. A good, yeah. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> 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 it was a good substitute for film stuff where sure. you can like work on something and then pick it up and hold it and say, look what I have created. That's right. No, absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, and I was also sort of like, I was like, well, I kind of hustled my way into a job in TV. Mm-hmm. So I sort of started like, Octopusing is what I call yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just putting out my feelers everywhere. I sang for everybody. I sang in some really weird stuff. Some guy up in like Altadena uh-huh. or something like wrote an opera about billionaires. There's still clips of it on YouTube lurking somewhere. It was really strange. Uh, like I was, yeah. It's it was, am- dude, it's amazing what you find yourself doing. Oh, I know. Uh, in the beginning, I was offered once a, 
uh, I got this call on the phone from this Asian lady, and she's like, uh, oh, no, I don't want to do that. That's, that's too terrible. <laughs> but uh, she says, um, yes, is this Omar? I said, yes. Who's this? Oh, this is so-and-so. Um, I was just calling. I got your number from somebody, and I wrote, uh, I just wrote this opera, and I want you to star in it. And I'd never, I'd never heard, I didn't know what she, who she was. She had a really thick Asian accent. Okay. And I said, yeah, I, that's what I said. I said, okay, uh, so go on. She says, well, well, I said, what's, what's it about? She said, it's a world premiere about the history of Taekwondo. All right. And there was silence, mm-hmm. and I thought about it for a second. And, and she, I think she kind of sensed that I was not too excited about it. And she says, don't worry. Don't worry. Nobody will be kicking you while you're singing. <laughs> <laughs> while you're singing. If you're not singing, watch out. So, that, so I get, I totally get what you're talking about. Yeah. I mean, it's rough in the beginning. Yeah. But you know, you do what you yeah, got to get do, out there. You have to say yes, unless it's that, that ridiculous. But yep. generally you say yes. Yeah. And I've done those things in churches and yep. the community centers and totally. all that stuff. Yeah. Yep. So I get you. Said yes to that, did that. And then um, I got an offer to do Tamino with this small opera company yeah. here in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. It was run by a woman who um, had been a singer, I think mostly like a jazz singer, yeah. and wanted to you know, put on operas, and so she got some singers together, and I think we might have gotten paid a couple hundred bucks, mm-hmm. and she like, but she always cast herself in the lead roles and couldn't necessarily super-duper pull them off. <sighs> yeah. And then even if it was a small role, just with like one glorious aria, it would always take the last and the longest curtain call. No, absolutely. And it was it was pretty funny. But I mean, hey, you know what? You go out and you get your chops going, and you're yeah. on stage, and you you're get singing in front of people. people. That's yep. right. And one of the things I did was go down and sing in a master class at Chapman that mm-hmm. Patrick was having with the singer William Burden, mm-hmm. uh, who has sung. He sang "Turn sure. of the Screw" here at LA Opera. Great guy. Yeah. Family guy and. Um, so I sang for him, and in the audience was Daniel Walks, who conducted Albert Herring at Chapman. Mm-hmm. Awesome conductor, really nice guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and he said, "Listen, I went to Juilliard with a guy named Josh Winograde, oh. who uh, and he and he didn't. I don't think he told me where Josh Winograde worked or anything. He was just Josh Winograde. Write it down. Get in touch with him. Tell him I said you should sing for him and that he should hear you." I said, "Okay." So I went home, and. Uh, I emailed Josh and I was like, "Oh, LA Opera, cool." And you'd worked you'd worked up your rep and you had a bunch of stuff ready yeah, to sing I by had, that point. Yeah, yeah, pretty similar to the stuff I'm singing now. Um, it was "Una Hora Amorosa," "Eco Ridente," "No Puede Ser," mm-hmm. that stuff. And so I went down to LA Opera and I sang for Josh. And um, I remember Josh afterwards coming. We we sat in room one and talked for like probably half an hour mm-hmm. and like i wish i could go back and listen to that again or at least like see the look on his face because i was like 20 let's see 2011 i was that's five years ago i was 25 maybe mm-hmm. 26 mm-hmm. and i i'm sure he was like what the wow, who is this like, guy well not that but just like what are you doing like were you you're dr phil like what <laughs> what's the story here and so he was like, well, what are your plans? What's your background? Like, are you thinking about grad school? And I hadn't thought about grad school, but mm-hmm. I was like, well, mm, I mean, if that's what you do, but really. I don't really, like, I was do- I was kind of done. I, now that are I've been out of school Are you telling me to go to grad school? Yeah, right. <laughs> now that I've been out of school for a while, like, oh, man, like, the idea of going back to school oh. and just, like, having it be my job to, like, get an English degree and yeah. just read all day. Yeah, yeah. Oh, God. Or just, like, take history classes. Mm-hmm. Like, that sounds awesome. Yeah. But at the time, I had not been out of school long enough to think that that sounded cool. And I was like, I mean, 
I could do that, but I'd be maybe 28 when I got out, and I don't think I want to do that. That said, I had no no idea what I was there even auditioning for. Right. And he said, well, we have this young artist program, but we kind of are, have stopped taking applications. We're kind of full, but why don't you come back in like a week or two and sing for Christopher Kelsch? And mm-hmm. there was one other person there who I don't remember. Uh, and so I did. Took mm-hmm. a day off from the Lego store. Mm-hmm. Came back and sang. And then they asked me to come back and sing for Placido. Nice. Which I was pretty excited about. And I still didn't even think the young artist thing was on the table. And I remember I was at the Lego store and I was like, you guys, I get to go audition for Placido Domingo. And they were like, what? <laughs> Who? You know? Which is surprising. He is kind of a household uh, yeah, name. Uh, yeah, he is. In Lego circles, uh, you just never know. No, that's right. Uh, so I came back. Um, and so when I was in college doing master classes and voice lessons every week, I mm-hmm. was busy doing film stuff sure. and learning the other operas and so whenever it was my turn to sing in master class i would just always sing no puede ser mm-hmm. because when patrick for the first time was like you should be a singer he doesn't sound like that at all but <laughs> that's what he said and i was like i gotta check this out right. so i went and uh what do you do you download the three tenors cd that's it and I so i listened to it and i was like this is pretty cool like, yeah i don't sound like these guys but i wonder if there's anything on here i could sing mm-hmm. and i sang no puede ser because mm-hmm. it's like not too high not too crazy intense mm-hmm. and um so i just sang that all the time it, like almost became a joke right you know? yeah and domingo is the one that sings it on the record right so i go in and the pianist Nino was running a few minutes behind, and so Placido comes in. Where were you at? Up in one of the rehearsal rooms. Yeah, I think we were in room one again. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And uh, he came in, and I kind of expected to be a little intimidated, but at the same time, one of one of the many really useful skills I learned working at like a TV studio, in addition to like dealing with stress and kind of sometimes eccentric people, is that you know all kinds of people would be on the Doctor Phil show Mm -hmm. and there was one time i remember working for dr phil that like my boss was directing a scene there was some editing emergency that he had to go and deal with so it was Mm -hmm. me like two full-on professional camera crews Mm -hmm. and dr phil and i was holding the script for like all these promo lines and so that was kind of that was kind of a cool day yeah because he was sitting like right where you are i was across from his desk in his office with his dog growling at me because he has a dog that growls at everybody and he loves it that's charming uh yeah really um and after everyone, he'd say, tomorrow on Dr. Phil, what can you do about the human? <laughs> and then he'd look up at me, and I was just like, yeah, yeah, okay. And a couple times, I was like, why don't we try that with a little emphasis here? And he like took it from like some 25-year-old kid, and I was like, yeah. yeah. But what I learned from that, like I drove Fran Drescher around on the lot once with her little dog, mm-hmm. and like all these different people that would come by. Is that like you get in a room with these people and it's like they're just people. It's just some just, guy. Yeah, they put it's their pants on one leg at a time. Yep. Yep. And like even if they want you to think they're this big monolithic fancy, it's like it's all BS. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's right. And so he came in and I was like, oh cool, all right, well cool. That's like that's the guy. And no extra nerves were added wow, because of man, that. That's really something. That was going to be my next question because I've suffered with nerves my whole life. Yeah. So that's awesome to hear well i i do too but it's mostly usually like internal like i just hope i don't screw up that's it and like and all that stuff yeah uh and i also have to say that placido helped tremendously he's so nice isn't he's he? like he's the nicest man I, I described it like santa claus walks in the room yeah because he's like hey hello how are you all of my impressions sound russian uh, yeah and none of them are russian <laughs> um but he was just so oh, it's friendly. very nice to meet you mr and bliss like, yes, oh yes he's so very, very, nice very good meet very good and okay. you could smell his cologne yep. which he has a very distinct like you know and it was a very reassuring thing and since the pianist was late uh he said what 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 will you sing and it was just he and i in the room yeah um 
So you got to break the ice a little bit. Yeah. I was like, I'm going to sing Ecoridente. And he goes, ah, Ecoridente. <laughs> and then he goes, he starts singing it, goes over the piano and starts playing it. And so we're singing along Ecoridente together. Jesus the little Christ. recitative part at the beginning. And then we, we stop and he says, yes, you know, once I was recording this in like the 60s, like Plasso, that's not really in his wheelhouse, no, that role. No, no. But he recorded it. Yeah. And I guess the kid's story was the baritone got sick. So he had to go and perform somewhere that night and then got on a plane and flew back and recorded like um, the like the Figaro's part right. the next day. That's right. So he was singing with himself on this record, mm-hmm. which apparently is still out there somewhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I felt really at ease. Wow. Dennis came, sang Acoridente for him. And then he looked at the list and said, hey, we will hear no puede ser. So there I am singing this, 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 this tune for in him. In your wheelhouse. Yeah. And uh, he said, okay, well, we will have you join the program. And I was like, whoa, cool. What does that mean? Like, do I get a job? Yeah, is it, there's the money involved. So Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. So they shook my hand. And then, like, I was standing there. They all got up and, like, left the room and, like, walked out. So I, like, I waited 30 seconds. And I was like, all right, cool. I'm going to get out of here. And I walk out of the room and I can see them way down the hallway at the other end waiting by the elevator. And I was like walking really slow. I was like, I don't want to like make this awkward, awkward. Yeah, like yeah, yeah, sneak yeah. up on the back of them. But of course that elevator takes forever. Every, yeah. So I come up behind them and like I tap Josh on the shoulder and I was like, hey, <laughs> um, is there a bathroom up here? He's like, yeah, it's, it's back there. <laughs> so I was a little awkward. But then uh, after they got on the elevator, I remember sprinting up and down the halls like three or four times because I was just dude, like so awesome. jacked, you know? And uh, I was at the Lego store like a week later, and they were like, all right, well, here's your, like, you're on this, like, fee all year, and we're going to have you understudy Ferrando and, I think, Albert Herring. Oh, yeah, that was that season. That was a great season. It was a really good season. Yeah. And so I, like, put in my notice at the Lego store for, like, two months from then and spent all summer working on Ferrando, building Legos, hanging out with my buddy, and then started the program. And, uh, yeah. So that was that was kind of like the other catalyst. It was like went to college, like got kind of strong armed into getting into music, and then like Dr. Phil days ended, and I was like, well, this is the opportunity Dude, I've that's been looking awesome. for. I'm gonna go for that it. That is a you, you're living a charmed life, buddy. Dude, it's crazy. That's amazing. It's crazy. And since I've been here in LA rehearsing for Magic Flute, I passed my like five year anniversary of the last day working in TV, and it was the day before my wife's birthday. And so we went out and like had a nice dinner for her birthday, but then I was also like, ah, five years. Yeah. Holy crap. Yeah. It's you're in a whole, you're in a different, totally different uh, life oh, now. Yeah. And yesterday, a good buddy of mine still works at Dr. Phil and uh-huh. they have a gym at the studio. Uh-huh. So I went over there and we were working out a little bit and like a couple of people who still work at the show popped into the gym and they're like, oh, hey man, are you working on the lot again? I was like, <laughs> no, nah, I'm, I'm like, I'm working in music now. And they were like, hmm. Okay. okay cool well you know <laughs> good to see you <laughs> you know it's, it's it's so weird it's such a different world so does your wife is your wife here in la with you now uh no she gets here tomorrow oh i see so she plays the bassoon we met actually another funny story regarding la opera conlin introduced us what so we were doing the young artist program was doing uh britain's opera the rape of lucretia uh-huh. which is like top two or three operas oh my god yeah incredible piece mm-hmm. so moving um, and since it was a young artist, they had uh, a chamber orchestra from Colburn right. play with us. Right. And the orchestra was on stage, and Dana was playing the bassoon. And so Conlon introduced the singers to the orchestra and the orchestra to the singers. Uh-huh. And um, I was like, I'm terrible at remembering names, but I remember my first thought being like, Dana. Dana, 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 bassoon. Dana, bassoon, Dana. Dana. <laughs> <laughs> so we crossed paths a couple times, and we really started talking the, like after the final night of the show, like mm-hmm. the, um, 
closing night party. Or was whatever. it at Was it at Colburn? That's it was where it was performed. Uh-huh. Zipper Hall. Uh-huh. Got it. And so she was like, "Oh, what, do you want to come out for like a drink with my friends and I?" I was like, "Yeah, yes. I do." But I was leaving on a flight the next morning at 7 a.m. to go audition for the Lindemann program at the Met. Mm-hmm. And so I went and, and like. If you do an orchestral audition, it takes like three days. But mm-hmm. I was gone for like two weeks because then I went and did a Mozart Requiem in Florida. Nice. And so I think after like six days or something, she was like, so are you ever coming back to L.A.? And I was like, oh, my God, she texted me first. Wow. So I came back to L.A. after that. And we spent like literally every minute together all summer. Uh, and then I went to Wolf Trap. And When was it? This was two years ago? This was... Um, the spring and summer of 2013. Wow. Uh huh. So yeah. Uh yeah. Like two. Like well, about three years ago. Yeah. Now it'll be three years in April that we met. Yeah. And, and um. And she is she from LA? She's from Seattle. Uh-huh. So she went to USC in undergrad, mm-hmm. and then went to Northwestern, and then she came to Colburn. And so she plays bassoon with the Pacific Northwest Ballet in Seattle now. Uh-huh. So I moved there from New York after the Lindemann program. Oh, you live in Seattle. In April. Yeah. So that's home oh. now. Yeah. So we live up there, and uh, the good thing about the ballet gig is that it's like two weeks on, two weeks off. Mm-hmm. So she can work it out to come see me a lot. And that's like, that, I mean, it is, it's totally charmed, and like this is great work, and it challenges me, and you meet the best people. But um, that is like by far the biggest challenge. I'm a total homebody, and like huh. my priority in life is like 100% like that like that like being with dana and like my family that i want to have and everything yeah yeah that's the like my, my parents were both self-employed and mm-hmm. like never went to new york or la to try and make it big they mm-hmm. could have they're really mm-hmm. talented people but um that's the most important job in the world if you ask me uh, yeah i feel the same way i i uh when we yeah i mean i love being a dad i've got to tell you mm. now uh, you know i I traveled for a few years. I had a I had an agent who was in New York, and I I traveled for I don't know two or three years. I was gone a lot, mm-hmm. and it was really hard. Yeah, it was it's really hard on me. And part part of it is that Amy couldn't travel with me. And I mean, it seems like you guys have that figured out. You already have a home base. Yeah, which was amazing. Well, and the tricky thing is, I mean, it's 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 all tricky because you know whenever I'm at home, it's awesome to be home. Yeah, but I'm unemployed. Yeah, uh, which luckily for the next couple of years anyway, the schedule's in such a way that that's not, I don't have it's to. It's not an issue. It's, yeah. it's actually more, I mean, not to be all like, oh, I'm so fancy. It's not that, but in a very like real sense, I have to work pretty hard to in between gigs say, you know what, I'm having two or three weeks free with that's nothing right. to do. I'm going to go home and work on music, but mostly I'm going to go home and like be a person. No, man, I think that's really important. And it's hard to do. It's yeah. hard to get that to work because yeah. I mean, there's exciting stuff on the table. What sometimes. about your agent? Is your agent okay with that? Well, I I, I made I knew that that was going to be my focus mm-hmm. and my priority before I left Lindemann and started like getting gigs, and I told him that, and he's super super down with it. Oh, that's great, and really supportive, and not like pressuring or anything at all like mm-hmm. that, which I know is it's a tough position for both of us. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. He wants to make as much money as he can, and you yeah. obviously, if you want to have you know start a family and have a house and all this stuff you, you it's uh it's hard it's t- it's tempting yeah to just take everything right? yeah yeah totally and uh but that's not in the long run i know that's not what makes me happy and like that's that's a really difficult way to like try and live your life and maintain yeah, real it relationships did, i'll tell you so. it did not work for me it was very stressful and yeah it's really strained our relationship i mean we made we made it through and we got married uh five years ago nice and uh now you know we own a house and 
uh, we have a home base and yeah. it's great. Yeah. You know, well, that's what, you know, that's like, that's the rhythm that you got to like figure out the rhythm and the priorities and the scheduling and like, you know, you can make it work, but it's also sometimes it's like, man, all we ever talk about is like who's flying when, where, yep. and like the time to actually just be together and just like be people all of a sudden can get pretty, pretty squished. Mm-hmm. And it's, um, you know, having freelance parents, I remember like when I was in college, it's like, mm-hmm. well, I want to come home for Christmas when classes are over, but if I stay an extra four days, I can make a couple hundred bucks singing in the church choir Christmas concert. That's right. And they were always like, hey, if you're a freelancer, you never know if it's going to be feast or famine. You take you what take you it. can when That's you can right. and, uh, you know, hope that it keeps coming. And so, you know, I have that. I want to, like, do well enough that I don't, you know, that, like, yeah, so I you know put, that the rent will be paid and this and that. That's right. But at the same time, it's it's a it's a it's a difficult balance, and just being at the the upswing here, it's um it's it's tricky to manage that and to figure out the rhythm and how you can what you can sacrifice where and how you can just like keep the things that are the people that are most important to you mm-hmm. as the most important thing in your life, mm-hmm. while at the same time being super grateful and taking full advantage and productive of and, yeah you know of like all the thing all the amazing things that are like being offered mm-hmm. um and the opportunities and everything so do you, do you miss la or do you are you happy up in seattle what's that like i really love seattle you do it's great yeah i mean there's there's water and there's mountains there's mm-hmm. great food um granted i haven't ever been there for longer than about six weeks at a time sure sure um and uh yeah I, re- I really like it but i also love la yeah and part of that again is being just traveling all the time and really never being anywhere for longer than a couple of months mm-hmm. um i've lived in seattle for april but i've been in and out a lot and so places like la for me where every corner you go around you have memories and friends and mm-hmm. this and that mm-hmm. become even more valuable. Absolutely. You know? Yeah, absolutely. So do you think uh, you're going to, do you think you'll stay in Seattle? Is that like, do you, do you foresee that being the place you're going to put roots down and start a family? And yeah, I kind of yeah? hope so. Dana's folks live there and she's super familiar oh, with it. That, we both love it. That's huge. Yeah. And, um, my parents live in Kansas city. Great place, yeah. but there's just, we're, we're no. kind of West coasters at heart. So, yeah. um, it really depends though on, um, you know, Dana's a really, really phenomenal bassoonist and mm-hmm. a really dedicated uh, musician and everything. So, you know, if she takes a, a better job here or there, then, you know, that's always on the table because sure. that's another part of the balance is it's not like, well, you know, the opera career is going really well. So that's just going to, we're both going to just, yeah. Go so in you're that not looking to start a family right anytime soon. Yeah. Yeah. We, we have some time to wait. Yeah. And, like figure out the rhythm and how, how much I can say no to that's right you know yeah yeah and how to juggle it all yeah for sure yeah well listen man this has been an just i'm i'm so grateful that you came by dude i mean this is oh, uh, me seriously too, this is my first uh real interview and i've got a really? superstar sitting in, sitting in my house nah it's man. awesome man it's well, great i appreciate really it. thanks for coming you. over I, I hope it wasn't like just yeah, listen to listen to all this stuff about me. You Amen. know, no, I, it's it, always it, it's terrific. And congratulations on all your success. Thank you very much. You got a couple man. big gigs coming up at the Met. You're doing. You're, I mean, you're singing the balls off of Tamino. I've got to tell you. Thanks. It's, it's, man. it's a great show, dude. Thanks. It's just thanks. great. So I'm loving it. Anyway, thanks, brother. Hey, man, my pleasure. Good luck with the podcast. Thanks for having me.